goal chance for Conor McGregor and he'll surely give it in Conor. What a goal! Mackey heading it towards the 21 meter line. Team Mackey still going. Go on, your boy. Goal is up for Cats. Oh, what a goal! I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now, anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly, but will stick in your mind that the champions who showed class. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. Did a small change before the game worth the street. I've been a looks like Donovan Connor. Wild effort on goal. It's oh, on the ball! Yeah, hello, welcome to this week's edition of the Off the Ball GA podcast with uh, myself, Dave McIntyre, and Shane. Good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? Are you well? Yeah, very good. It's uh, a difficult week for you because there's no hurling, but we will squeeze plenty of hurling into today's podcast on the back of uh, that epic semi-final between Waterford and Cork at the weekend. As you're familiar with at this stage, all of our GA on News Talking Off the Ball is with Borgosh Energy, official sponsor of the GA Hurling Under-21 Championship. Keep up to date and follow hashtag hurling to the core. We're going to be chatting, obviously, the situation at the semi-final between Kerry and Mayo this Sunday as they renew that incredible rivalry. But um, aside from that... And Cork-Waterford, there's not an awful lot happening in the uh, GA world this week. There are the under-21 hurling semi-finals as well this weekend. And, of course, a lot of ladies, Gaelic football and camogie. But where else can we start, Shane? But Crow Park last Sunday. Uh, what a brilliant day it was for Waterford hurling. What an intriguing game it was that had just a little bit of everything. Yeah, I think their experience got them across the line in a lot of ways. Like Kevin Moore and Brick Walsh. Uh, a lot of the other counties are getting rid of their experienced players as soon as they hit 30. But Moore and at 30... Brick at 34 and I believe he's been kind of they had to cajole him to come back a couple of times in the last few years and what a player still just absolutely delivering and actually yeah just to go continue my rant um, I th- it beggared belief that Kieran Kingston allowed the most experienced player on the field which is Brick to be unarguably the least experienced player in Coleman because you, you knew for, uh, before the match that Watford would look for this matchup and Mark Coleman had played sweeper for the under 21s and done really well against Limerick recently and surely a physical matchup of of Mark uh, Ellis or Christopher Joyce on Brick would make more sense they'd have a better chance if they're isolated in a high ball surely well I'd have to say of all the pre-match discussions I heard and the amount of pundits I heard building up to the game I never heard anybody predicting that that was the matchup that Waterford were looking to force. You didn't hear me say that. I didn't hear you say it. So uh, clearly that was the you. one preview I missed. Because I listened to about six of them. You, you missed our pod last <laughs> week then. Um, well, there you go. So, But I, if Kieran Kingston had seen that happening in the opening minutes of the game, I would forgive him for allowing him just to see how it panned out. Because you are thinking, oh, well, obviously there's a complete mismatch in terms of pace and legs. Yeah. Um, and then maybe switch it if Michael Wall starts to show his physical superiority. His effect on games has been constant for 14 years. But in the last couple of years, it has remained so. But Sunday was as obvious as it's been in a long time. Mm. As even to the, you know, the average hurling follower that wouldn't necessarily be watching games every week, it was clear that Michael Walsh was dominating that first half. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you know what's even more interesting? Um, there's a lot of talk about how Waterford needs... A sweeper because they don't have as good a defenders as other teams and they don't trust their backs. It's actually precisely the opposite. They don't trust their forwards, so that's why they're playing seven backs because they know they feel like the ball might come back too quick, 
or they're not going to be able to get enough scores in a shootout. So if you look at that forward line, um, Park Mahoney is an excellent player. Jake Dillon and Shane Bennett have a bit of pace inside to chase down the ball. Brick wouldn't be your typical forward, neither would Moore. So here's the thing. Their forwards actually have two natural backs, two natural centre-backs, which is Austin Gleeson and Brick Walsh in the team. So does that not show you, if anything does, that they've taken two ball-winning backs and put them up in the forwards? Because if they put six of their actual forwards up there, lads who are natural forwards, the ball would never stick up there. So it's completely the opposite of what people are saying. Because look at their backs. Shane Fives doesn't really struggle on his own. Barry Coughlin... He gets a bit of criticism, but in general, I think he's really good, and he's actually faster than people realise. Noel Connors is an all-star in the past. Philip Mahoney's excellent. And his range of hand-passing, did you notice that the other day? He was hand-passing out the side, out the back, out the front, like he has weird... Philip. Yeah, weird sort of wrists or something, because they go more than the the normal degrees. Is it 15 degrees, your your wrist twist or something like Maybe that? Maybe he's double-jointed or something. Maybe he is. Maybe he is. But like, I, I do think it's... Watford don't trust their forwards more so than their backs, which is the reason for this uh, formation. Well, they well. don't really have, you know, a who's who's a who's who of top class forwards. Now, maybe there, there are forwards that could do the job from a scoring point of view within the county, but they're just not getting into the team because the team needs to play a certain way. And when you've got one forward less up there, stands to reason you'd want them to be as physical as mm. possible. That's why Morris Shanahan has such an impact when he comes off the bench in these last 15, 20 minute cameos, although he was on for the guts of half an hour on Sunday. Um, their backs are so physical. Darifies his performance. Now, probably made look like the greatest sweeper in the history of the game. By it's the easiest position to play on the field sweeper. Well, it certainly is when the ball's pumped down your throat by the opposition time <laughs> yeah. and time again. I, How were Cork doing this? All the talk of that extra man back from Waterford in the build-up to the game and for the last three years, and yet still... There's a team completely playing into their hands. I just couldn't understand mm. how he got on that much ball. You'd have to give a lot of credit to uh, Shane Bennett and Jake Dillon because the work they did was ridiculous. Now, they probably didn't do as much on the ball as you'd like and that's because they're isolated so much. But there's a couple of times when Shane Bennett caught up guys who were 10 yards ahead mm. of him. And but the work rate was ferocious. Oh, it was. And that's the difference. That's why the ball comes out in hurried fashion. But another question I'd ask you is, just just to finish off this point on Waterford's forwards and not trusting them, how many of those Waterf- Waterford forwards, and Gleeson, yes, but outside that, how many of them would you put in the top 10 forwards in Ireland? Uh, looking at that starting six, well, Kevin Moran is, is a midfielder. having an incredible season. But, but he's playing I midfield. Mean, going back to your point, that maybe they weren't out now forwards. I mean, Porig Mahoney is arguably the best free taker in the game, or certainly up there with them, but although he did deliver from play on Sunday. Well, let's name he delivered some a couple of, the of very good ones. We'll name yeah, some if you're talking ten. about the goal, even if you're... Uh, Richie Hogan, TJ Reid, I would, would you even compare them to Lahan, Patrick Horgan, Alan Cadigan, where they've got good ball? Mm. Like, they, they were starved. I mean, the fact that Pat Horgan delivered from play as much as he did on Sunday was a miracle. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's um but I would it's it's very similar to the Dublin forward line. Like how many of the Dublin forwards are in the absolute elite top four, top three forwards in the country? Are you talking about football? I'm talking about football. Um like as a unit they're fearsome. But it like it's look, it's an argument I'm sure that people would throw back at me, but Bernard Brogan is still an incredibly uh good operator but he's not the player he was three, four years ago because, you know, time waits for no man. Paul Mannion is still finding his feet still needs to improve a bit before he can be in the same class as a Paul Ganey or a, a, a Conor McManus those kind of guys I'm talking about like Jamie Clark standards Dublin just have six excellent forwards another three or four excellent forwards come off the yeah, bench Connelly, but as a unit Connelly the water for forward line and the physical makeup of them is just doing incredibly well for them at the moment yeah, but it's the scoreline they put together was it 319? yeah but it was 419 but like let's be realistic 
They scored 3-7 or 3-8 after the red card. Cork fell apart. The Cork did get the next couple of points and went back in front and looked like they were handling look, it pretty well. I'm just looking at it here and just double-checking where exactly. Yeah, so 51 minutes had gone and Cork and Watford had scored 11 That's the real measuring stick yeah. there at this stage. They absolutely fell apart after that. And uh, yeah, you'd have to question another thing, which was, why wasn't Daniel Kearney brought on midfield for Cork at some stage? Because... Dara Fitzgibbon was good in the second half, really good. But they were getting destroyed at midfield. Oh, you and I bumped into each other in the press box in the build-up to the game. Yeah. You asked me what I thought. And obviously, I'm not considering myself remotely to be an expert compared to some of the lads in that press box. But I felt that if the if the really young guys for Cork, the likes of Fitzgibbon, the likes of Mark Coleman, uh, Colm Spillane, Shane Kingston, Luke Mead, if they produced... Cork would win the game mm. because that would mean that they were playing a game full of pace full of opportunity plenty of space and Waterford wouldn't be able to stick with them really did any of them perform like they did in the Munster Championship in the second half they maybe flitted in and out of the game yeah uh, Luke Mead had had a broken f- he'd only gotten a pin out of his finger the week before like even Alan Cadigan who's been exceptional he'd, he'd, he'd had uh, what's it called again the same thing that Lee Keegan had uh, cellulitis as well so he probably wasn't 100% but like Every player out there isn't at 100%. I saw one of um, Stephen McDonald's fingers was bandaged up, but so was Austin Gleeson's. Like, you take slaps. That's the that's yeah. the nature of it. Um, it. But it really did turn on Austin Gleeson not getting red and, and McDonald, well, and Cahillan rightly getting red. Like, I mean, he should have got Crazy a yellow... Crazy stuff, wasn't it? He should have got a yellow card after, was it a couple of minutes? He chopped across uh, Morn when Morn was putting one over from an acute angle and he was down for mm. a minute or two. Sure, that was a ludicrous chop across him. I think he was looking to to escape a red card for the second challenge. Yeah, yeah, it was high. Like it was, it could have been red in itself. He at the same time, uh, Connor Gleeson kind of changed direction so suddenly. I'd say, you know, maybe that's a mitigating diff- factor. Yeah, it's difficult to get out of the way. It's, it's like Ryan O'Dwyer into twenty thirteen All Ireland semi when he got the second yellow against Lorcan McLaughlin. McLaughlin sort of changed what way he was moving at the last second because the ball went a, a different way than he was expecting, and I think. O'Dwyer was kind of caught then but uh, it must have been tough like you were doing it for Sky it must have been very tough to keep an yeah. how tough is it to keep an eye on everything Hurling is tough to? for the best of times we're tip- particularly close games and games where there's there's plenty going on and, and such physical games like I didn't see the Austin Gleeson incident as it took place it took us a while in the commentary box to figure out that this could be a potential issue for mm. Waterford um, the red cards because the, at, the, at the time of the two red cards at the end of the game Conor Gleeson or, or Porig Mahoney was sticking the ball over the bar from 65-70 yeah. metres one of the points of the game that seemed to have completely lost on everybody <laughs> almost to the point where the umpires didn't know what to do because they didn't think they should be putting the flags in the air because they knew something was up mm. down uh, down the Hogan side uh, end of the pitch it can be really tough at times but um, it's they're brilliant to commentate on like these epic matches where you know that um, you're in the midst of something really special mm. The last 50 minutes, did you say, completely went water its way after Cahillan was sent off. But did you feel that if they had remained 15 on 15, that it would ultimately have been Waterford that would have grounded out? Like, I, I had predicted Waterford, but I'd have to say, I th- and like, it's great to be able to say that now, but I had thought Cork were shading it. You know, the kind of unquantifiable flow of the game that you, you're looking at. and I'm, Just a sense you're getting. Yeah, that feeling. I felt Cork were the were the team that were going to do it, even though they were so reliant on Patrick Horgan. And it was one of the great Croke Park performances from him. And this is a guy who he thrives on confidence and he missed a mm. couple of very 
um, untypical freeze from his point of view and I thought that might knock his confidence but the next one was a tough one he nailed that and then he just grew into the game from play mm. and he was comfortably Cork's best forward to the point where he was picking ball up 50-55 metres from goal and swinging the ball over the bar mm. because he probably felt if it's not me who else is it going to be today Remember his uh, confidence at the start of the year you possibly were commentating on it the, a league match between Dublin and Cork Oh yeah, and awful he was that hitting day. unbelievably easy freeze wide yeah. I couldn't believe it and now to be producing this there was great ball going into that full forward line of Cork as well especially in the first half and he was the only one who was actually coming out and doing something with it and he has a brilliant way of like the ball be popped in front of him he'll catch it he'll sort of do almost American football sort of steps left and then turn right and his man is kind of gone for a hot dog yeah. and he throws it over the bar He's running, just, it, running a different route to the defender yeah. and that's what it looks like because I keep watching it and, and it kind of slowly occurred to me that's what it looks like he's just, just class to watch but we um, normally start our podcast with the stories of the week. I guess now that we're at the semi-final stages of the two championships, there aren't as many stories on the ground as there would normally be. So that's why we started with kind of our thoughts on that game. But the, clearly the big story of this week post-match is the situation surrounding the two Gleasons. Um, Connor Gleeson is just going to be banned, I would suggest, and he won't be playing in the game. And such I mean, a It's shame, a huge shame it? for him. He'll, he'll think about this for the rest of his days, particularly if Waterford don't make it back there. Like 20 years old. It, I just really feel sorry for him because he's got a really difficult two or three weeks coming up where he's going to be down at training wearing a tracksuit and not been able to participate. There is nothing worse than being than being unavailable for a big game. Uh, a couple of years ago, I missed the Leinster Club final in Kula because of a broken finger from a dirty stroke. And it's horrible to watch on from the sideline. And I'm not equating that with an All-Ireland final because it's many, many times worse. But it's terrible to to go into a dress room and be there, like dressed in your full mm. clothes and looking at everyone getting psyched up and looking at everyone kind of getting their rubs, and you're there trying to almost generate a bit of uh, positivity, ener- ener- yeah, and energy in yourself to g up the other lads, but at the same time not be like, dude, for me or anything like that. Not that you would, but yeah. you know, you're tr- you're you're almost trying to think of how can I, how can I contribute here, even though I can't you know, do it in a tangible sort of way on the field. If they win the All-Ireland, does he get a medal? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he will, yeah. Oh, it probably won't mean as much to him, despite the level of performance that he put in on Sunday. Mm. And I mean, he was brilliant. The man-marking job class. that he did was just was just class. He plays so... I didn't see that either. I didn't yeah. see that in, uh, or hear about that in the build, that Conor Gleeson would be so effective, so destructive. He's, he's been brilliant in every game, though. He's been He's held a lot of really good How players. good can he become, then? He's 20. And and there you have Jamie Barron, his own club mate from Four Mile Water, 22 or 3. People didn't even know who he was before the game. I, and I mean with his helmet off, wouldn't mm. have recognised him. And uh, I think everyone would have seen him on telly getting interviewed afterwards. But then downstairs when we were doing all the interviews or whatever, um, I'd, I'd interviewed him before so I knew what he looked like. So I went over and I did a one-on-one interview with him. And a few of the other journalists say, said to me, who, who was that? Who's your man? Yeah. Well, it's it, interesting. When we were waiting to go on air on Sunday, myself and Nicky English were talking about the two teams and how few of them we would recognise if they walked into the press box. That's it, isn't like it? Like just a handful. And I was we were talking about the Cork-Waterford semi-final of 2006, which uh, was won by that... Uh, was it Jerry O'Connor or was it Ben O'Connor? We got the winning score and uh, Cork had... Or Waterford had a late free that just dropped short of the... Oh, Ken McGrath's free. Yeah. Um, and how many of the players on those teams that we still know in our mind's eye mm. because of the fact that they weren't wearing helmets. I know they're trying to make an effort now by... Um, telling the players not to wear their helmets during the parade, but sure, that's just five minutes. Half the people wouldn't be there. A lot of people at home are still making their cups of tea, getting themselves prepped for the game. They don't see it. I just think it's a real shame. They, 
look, clearly you have to have the helmets and you can't be walking around without them in this day and age. But um, it's such, such, such a pity they will never have the profile again of the generation immediately yeah. before them. Like we all remember Dan, even some of the uh, the lesser lights in that water routine, like Owen McGrath, for example. Yeah. Like, you know, I would not recognize him now if he walked into mm-hmm. the studio. Look, it's just the way it is. It's funny you mentioned the helmets. There's a guy I used to hurl with, and once he put his helmet on in the dressing room, he refused to take it off. So all the team photos, everyone's got their helmet <laughs> off. But there he is, real stoic face and the helmet on. During the anthem, he won't take off the helmet and you're supposed to. <laughs> oh, so God. speaking of uh, yeah. helmets, um, obviously there'll be a major preview with um, on the podcast ahead of the hurling final between Galway and Water for the first time they've ever met in the final. So somebody is going to have a serious drought ended come the end of September, which is spectacular. It's such it's, it's as romantic a final as we've had going back to when? Clare Offaly in 94 or in 95? Yeah, yeah, Wexford-Limerick maybe, 96. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, and the thing is, because Aston Gleeson is allowed to play in the final, James Owens, James Owens has probably forgotten his own chance of a referee in an All-Ireland final. Yeah, let's get by, into this now. Well, firstly, Gleeson through. It's a, it was a it was black and white for me. Austin Gleeson shouldn't play in the final. Hundred percent shouldn't. So let's not get into whether the rule is too harsh, whether the degrees of punishment are too harsh. Well, there are no degrees of punishment. It's the rule is just mm. that if you interfere with the helmet in a minimal way, you're going to receive a one match ban. I do think they need to tweak the rule so that a referee can use his discretion and decide from what he has seen, or the CCC can use their discretion to decide whether what what happened was dangerous and merited a red, or whether it was just a foul and it can be dealt with with a yellow card. Right now, the rule book doesn't allow anybody to use their discretion because if you interfere with the face guard, you are going to receive either a red card or if it's not spotted by the referee, you're going to get a one-match ban. Mm-hmm. And that should be the fate that it has befallen Austin Gleeson, just like it was Tyg de Burka, whose indiscretion was infinitely less dangerous mm-hmm. than I what... Agree. Austin Gleeson did and and that's not to say that what Austin did is, is dangerous but you could make an argument for it, the fact that it had the potential to be dangerous because he did have a grip in the helmet he did pull the helmet off the guy's head so you know it could have caught his ears I don't know we saw a terrible injury to a, a Tipperary Declan Fanning a few years ago where the face mask actually got broke away and it, it did serious damage to one of his ears but regardless of where the rule is right now these intercounty hurlers know what the rule is what was Austin Gleeson doing? I don't know. I think like this was a purposeful removal of the helmet. Now, there was th- nothing accidental about this. This isn't an excuse of why he did it, but this might be the reason. And I, I, I said it on air the other night when uh, Joe and myself and Kieran Cunningham were talking about it. That if you look at it, Luke Mead is holding on to his hurley while the two of them are on the ground. So there might be a momentary frustration that he's not letting me away here. So he just pulled the helmet. So again, that's the reason, not an excuse, because there is no excuse. And a lot of people are like. Uh, it should be aggressive force should be a red and yellow should be just if you grab it no it has to be deliberate and not deliberate because what good can come out of um, out of pulling someone's helmet so it should be zero tolerance because all you can do is possibly cause injury yeah there haven't been too many incidents over the course of helmets being compulsory and they're only compulsory since 2010 and some people did and didn't wear them before that but like good can't come of it like like you could pull someone's helmet and God knows what could happen. Like your neck. So you're saying there really, it doesn't really matter if it was. Um, it doesn't really matter if it's dangerous or not. 
or it has the potential for injury or not, that there shouldn't be different degrees of penalties no. when just, it comes to this offence. It's just you. You're happy with the rule as it stands. Yeah, just deliberate and not deliberate. So because there's very few there's hurlers a it's a that I've heard speaking about this that would agree with you. A lot of them are adamant that the rule is far too penal and that it's not really a dangerous thing in a lot of circumstances. And it's not. It's not. In so a then, lot why of not have you know dangerous that. play versus just. Um, it being a foul and meriting a yellow. Because who knows what's, what sort of incident or what sort of minimalist sort of tug is going to end up in a serious injury. And it mightn't happen for 20 years, but it might just happen one day. And then everyone who has said uh, that it should be about aggressive play or not aggressive play is going to look very silly and some person's going to be badly injured from it. So leave uh, it as it is. Leave it as it is. And it may never happen. And I hope it never happens. And I'd hope people will be beating me with this stick for years. But every player knows not to touch the helmet. And if you know, why on earth would you ever deliberately touch yeah, it? Yeah, I can understand, particularly what had happened to Tiger Burka, particularly with the focus that was on uh, Adrian Tui's, um infraction for Galway against Tipperary in the semi-final. So there's so much attention on it. You would think it's the last place any player would mm. go with his fingers. It's like uh, being on a rugby pitch. Do not go helmet. anywhere near someone's eyes when mm. you're playing rugby because you're going to find yourself in serious yeah. trouble whether it was intent or not. I was trying to think uh, the other night about has it happened to me before and again talk with Joe and I mentioned once when a selector came on from the other team there was a real shamozzle and a selector pulled my face guard off. And now like Fine, it came off handy, and so it wasn't a big deal. But then I thought, since uh, my memory sometimes uh, blacks out of me, but uh, in another league game, myself and a guy had a bit of a shamozzle in the corner again, and he went for my face guard, and he kept pulling at the face guard, and fine, I didn't end up properly injured. But it scraped all across the front of my head, so there was, there was quite a mark there. And again, nothing happened, and that's, that's how it would be most of the time. But you just never know. When mm. is the day that a bar is going to come loose on a helmet and it's going to scrape across an eye or you know, whatever it is, an ear again. So if it's 100% banned and people don't know not yeah. to touch it, then isn't that the best thing? I don't really have a you know a black or white opinion on it because I just haven't played hurling at a level that puts me, I think, in a position to justifiably say the rule is correct as it is. But um, it's interesting to hear differing opinions from someone like JJ Delaney to someone like yourself who played hurling at a pretty decent level. You haven't won like eight or nine All-Irelands but you have no. played in All-Ireland no, I've Club never finals. played county and I'd, I'd fully say that. Say that but, but it shouldn't really no make star. a difference. But this like is hurling is, is hurling. But this know. isn't really about inter-county hurling, is it? Yeah. This is about junior hurling. This is about under-12s yeah. hurling and players at that level and that age group seeing someone like Austin Gleeson getting away with this and um, deciding that maybe it's okay for them to do it. So, the ins and outs of him getting away with it. On Monday, every media outlet virtually in the country was describing the ins and outs of the situation and telling us that it was all down to James Owens. That if he decided that he was happy with how he had officiated this game in his match report and in speaking to the CCCC, then there was no further action that could be taken against Austin Gleeson. That's a ridiculous amount of pressure to be placing mm. on a referee from Wexford yeah. who's ruling on Waterford as to whether or not their star player who's only 22 years of age should be playing in his first possibly last All-Ireland final you don't know what's going to happen mm. over the next 10 years or so James Owens I doubt slept very well Monday night No, the pressure of the country was on him I think we're I'm not sure if we pointed out already but I'm happy Aston Gleeson is playing in the final I suppose you feel the same because it's, You want to see the best players yeah. in the country this is nothing personal 
Eddie Brennan was saying the other day this was nothing personal. He was very honest on Sunday night, the Sunday game, when he said it's conclusive. Yeah. And it was conclusive. And he, he shouldn't be playing. It's brilliant that he's playing. Yeah. And I'm delighted that he is. And it's it's going to give Waterford a great chance of winning this game. And just like uh, on the other side of things, Galway will be happy the two he's playing. Hmm. And he should also be banned. Yeah, uh, they should. Or, well, according to the rule, anyway, they should both be banned. Yeah, they um, said they c- couldn't prove it was deliberate, but um, once. So, we, how once do we take t- this this pressure from the referees? It's well, ridiculous. Well, there'll probably be a change. There will be a change whereby there's going to be a proposal put in next year. I mean, this is what Colin Keyes was suggesting with Joe last night or Wednesday night, suggesting that um, a proposal is going to go in for an amendment so that someone like the CCCC can actually be the ones to kind of cite something like this. I think it should happen. It was way too much pressure for James Owens. Please rule the All-Ireland final for us, uh, James. That's more or less what he's been asked to do. And And he's uh, now ruled himself out of probably getting an All-Ireland final because this is... Like, that's a big black mark against him. James James Owens can't honestly say... I'm happy with how I officiated mm. the game if he's missed this. Yeah. So he, so he either didn't see it and therefore he's lied or he did see it and he got the decision wrong. Yeah. So and he's happy that he got Of it all wrong. the people in this situation, the person I have the most sympathy for is him. Can you imagine how nuts Waterford and uh, the, the county is going at this stage? Um, their famine is exactly twice as long as Galway's. So 29 years to 58 mm-hmm. years. I think the maths add up there. Uh, can you imagine how nuts that county is going to be going in the next couple of weeks? Uh, similarly with Galway, but I think they, they've been burned a few times over the last number of years in finals, and I'd say there's a bit of trepidation there. And a few Galway locals that I'd, I'd chat to now and again, one lad in particular told me that all year the team he's been worried about facing is Galway. Or sorry, Waterford. Really? Because they choke out their forwards. It'd be right. very interesting to see. Like, Joe Canning's going to have a man marker on him all game long. It probably would have been Conor Gleeson. be interesting to see who it is now. But... Uh, it's going to be a great matchup because because it'll be a bit of a chess match. And Aiden what Hart- role does Dara Fies play now that Tyke de Burke is back? Isn't it brilliant that they actually have the option? I'd say Tyke de, de Burke's touch is a little bit tighter. I'd say. Um, so I'd imagine his he'll go fielding back to isn't as good as Dara Fies though. Is oh, it? it is. Yeah. Is it? Oh, geez, so, so I mean, clear. Obviously, Dara Fies was playing in all of these championship games with Tyke de Burke, so there uh, is he, a role for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. He'll be in wing back. I'd say Kieran Bennett. Well, actually, Conor Gleeson is suspended now, so maybe Kieran Bennett will hold on. To he his didn't position. do too badly for a guy playing in the cha- first championship yeah. match in an All Ireland semi final in front of sixty nine thousand people. Talk about the deep end. Now he started nervously because he gave away three frees. Well, Shane Kingston got the better of him yeah. the first couple of uh, interchanges he between, exchange between those two. He got but a he settled in, in after freeze. that. Yeah, oh, he did. Like he did, he did very, very well. But I don't think people uh, talk enough about the influence of Philip Mahoney back there. I mm. mean, what a rock he is! He never really gets mentioned. No, and does his man ever really get mentioned? Not really that much. Yeah. Look at all those Cork star forwards. They hardly got a puck between them. Some of them, like um, Alan Cadigan, got a couple of scores, and as I said, the cellulitis. But the rest of the forwards, Conor Lahan wasn't himself because Conor Gleeson was all over him like a rash. Seamus Harney never fully got into it. Kingston was good for a while. Luke Mead, that broken finger, I'm sure didn't help. So a lot of their forwards, Bill Cooper didn't really get into it. So, yeah, they'd have to kind of accept that a lot of their players didn't get into the game, but still a great year for them to win Munster. Before we leave the hurling, you'll obviously go into this in far more greater detail, both on Off the Ball and on the Off the Ball GA podcast and the build-up to the final so your opinion may change between now and then, mm. but if you had to call it right now, who's going to win the hurling final? Galway, I think. They've looks like, you know the way Tipperary looks like a mean machine all last year, real focused. There's just, again something unquantifiable when you look at them. You're like, geez, that's a team that means business. Much like how Kilkenny did man- for many, many years as well. 
Ah, it's got to be Galway. I think they'll. Yeah, Aidan Hart will probably end up a sweeper. They'll push up if they need to. They've been against sweepers all year against Offaly and, and, and Wexford, so they know how to deal with it. So I think they'll just about do it because they've more scoring power. Okay, you? we'll see. What do you think? Uh, the body of evidence that I've seen tells me that it's Galway's year because they've just been so impressive. And bar a little spell in the build up to half time of the Leinster final, I don't think they've been in trouble at any stage. They probably should have beaten Tipperary by more. I thought yeah. they were definitely the better team on the day. Um, they hit an awful lot of bad wides. And yet could they have wasted lost. a lot of ball and still could have lost, but that would have really just been a game that would have got away from them. Yeah. I don't know. I think Waterford will just take a huge amount from getting to the semi-final and they don't have to play Kilkenny in the final, which is massive for them. Mm. And they don't have to play Tip. So they will. I don't think Waterford fear Galway at all going into this game. I'm not going to I'm, I'm not gonna call it... They've never lost to them in championship. Not I think we might never. get a, well, a replay would be, what, the fourth and five seasons, would it? Yeah. You never know. That'd be nuts. You never know. Okay, we're going to be talking Gaelic football next. It's Kerry Mayo in the All-Ireland Football semi-final this Sunday afternoon. We'll be back in a moment. Okay, it's time to talk Mayo Kerry, and uh, in doing so, we wanted to speak to someone that had faced both of these teams in this year's championship. So, who better than the uh, Galway inside forward Sean Armstrong? Sean, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the call. No problem, Dave. Cheers, having me. Sean, looking at Mayo, the Mayo side that took on Galway, and the Mayo side that dismantled Ross Common in that quarterfinal replay, they do look very different. How different do you see them being, having played against uh, both sides? Ross Common and Galway in this year's championship. I know you weren't on the field in the Connacht final, but having watched it closely and then having witnessed what Mayo did to Ross Common in that quarter final. Yeah, um, they look like a completely different team, to be quite honest with you. Um, I honestly thought when Ross Common didn't win the first day out, I, I felt that Ross Common missed her chance, to be quite honest with you. I think Mayo are such an experienced team. You know, they've been last four for the last seven years. They played a lot of replays, whether against the Carriers, the Dublins. I just felt their experience was going to tell the second day out against Roscommon and they got off to a blistering start. Um, I think what you saw with Mayo was that they've kind of found that intensity that made them tick as a real top team. I think they were kind of stuttering a bit. I don't think they were great against us. Um, maybe that's because we kind of identified their strengths and kind of closed them out. Um, I know through the back door they kind of stumbled away upon, but always, always getting, always they, they just showed the resilience, they're always getting a win. But I think they're just finding their form again now, and um, I think I know last year they found it at the right time. This year they're finding it at the right time again. And I think they're going to be a different, different beast when they play Kerry in a, uh, this weekend. To be honest with you, could you tell in the first quarter, say, of that Connacht semi-final that? that maybe Mayo weren't at that sort of level of intensity and that you guys were in it with a real shout? Yeah, yeah. I don't. They didn't. Um, we definitely felt that we brought the intensity. We kind of brought that bully tactic. I think that we dominated them physically, to be quite honest with you, and in the intensity stakes, um, which I was kind of surprised by, to be quite honest with you, if I was reflecting upon the game. Um, and I think that was a win in the game for us, to be quite honest with you. We didn't bring that to Roscommon the first 15, 20 minutes against Roscommon. I think that's why... We may have lost the game, um, but this, I, I was actually up at the game watching the Mayo Ross Common game, the replay, and I just when I was watching them in the warm up, I was like, "These boys are seriously, seriously up for it." You could tell could, that early. You could, oh, you could tell that early. And the minute the ball was thrown in, and I know Mayo 
I know they stormed off into like a five-point lead, but I think they missed a few as well. Mm. And then I saw Ross Common maybe, I think they got a point, they brought it back to 6-2, and I was like, oh, maybe after all, Mayo's dominance for the first 15 minutes, it's not actually going to be too bad at halftime. And the next thing, Mayo banged in two goals quite quickly now that game over. You know, and I think they've kind of gone back to that really intensity in their intensity in the play, but their running game. Like Mayo have a really, really good running game. That's their strength. And I think they went away from that for a little while. They're maybe trying to pick off the forward and or kick the ball in quickly to forward and maybe a bit too often. I think they've gone back to the running game. I think that would suit them against Kerry because it's because when we got um, rewarded against Kerry was running at them. We kind of opened them up once or twice and got good goal chances. And if you take one or two of those goal chances, it might have been different. But that's definitely Mayo's strength. I think that might trouble Kerry a bit. I was going to ask you this one a little bit later, but seeing as you mentioned the running at them, uh, Lee Keegan should come back into the team. And we saw what he did to Enda Smith, who was Ross Common's best player in the mm. in the Connacht final. And he put sent him backwards and scored 1-3 in the first half. And I just wonder... Could you put Keegan midfield and maybe put him on David Morne, who's a great link man for Kerry and a great footballer? Would that send um, Kerry a little bit backwards and might disrupt their game plan a little bit? You mightn't have thought about it, but I'm just wondering, like, how does yeah, that sound? Yeah, I to wouldn't you? have given it any thought. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I didn't expect, to be honest, which I didn't expect Keegan to pick up Smith the first day. Mm. To be honest, I didn't see that coming. But obviously, it was a bit of a massive show from Matt's point of view, in fairness, because it took Smith out of it and Keegan banged one three. Um, would I see Mayo identifying more as much of... Um, hammer the hammer type thing. Yeah, hammer the hammer. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I know Morn is definitely their link man. Like he's, their, he's their number one midfielder for sure. I don't know who they'll go with, Jack Barry or Anthony Maher the next day. I'd imagine they'd probably go with Jack again. Um, but I, I just don't know. I could see that happening. It's, a good, it's, it's definitely a good point. I could see that happening. Or whether they'd leave Keegan wing back and let him just, as I said, run at them from wing back and have no real kind of a specific role to carry out on, do you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah? Yeah, no, no, finish out your point if you had something to add. No, 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 go on, i finish it. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, as an inside forward and, and having played against Kerry and looking at Mayo as well, where would you see the opportunities if you were an inside forward coming into this weekend? Um, Mayo are very good, and even against us in the Connick semi-final, they cut out the kind of, the kickball, the kind of, 40, 30 yard kickball. They do very, they cut that out well. It's not like they play an identified sweeper. It's almost that if you're back there and your man isn't there, then you fall in as a sweeper. Mm. I mean, I, I, that's, that's how they play it. And anytime I was inside there with Damien Comer the last, uh, at the beginning of the summer, that's what they did. Sometimes it was Higgins, you know, sometimes it was McLaughlin, sometimes it was German O'Connor. They would just, if they're there, the ball is going down the other side of the field. They're not really going to join the attack. They just sit back in and mind the full back line. To cut out, to cut out that kick passing. I noticed against Kerry when we played them up in Crow Park. Now I don't know if they just didn't give us the respect, maybe, or if they're going to change it against Mayo. But they didn't play a sweeper at all. In fact, their half back line pushes quite up. You know, it's almost like the Barcelona of this world. They have this high press and they kind of really, really press around midfield and they take that chance around midfield of winning the breaking ball and then that being their springboard for attack. And if Mayo can even come 50-50 in midfield the next day, which I suspect that they will with the two O'Shea's and Parsons, that in behind Kerry's half-back line, there's plenty of space there. And I know Ross playing against Kerry, who kind of analyse them against the Clares of this world and the Corks of this world, they leave a lot of space in behind their half-back line. And once you breach that half-back line, well then you have open space in front of you to run at them or to kick it inside to the likes of Andy Moore, who's a fantastic league man inside, as well as obviously Killian O'Connor.
So and that's why I'd be leaning a little bit towards my own. And that is where Galway got some joy, particularly in the first half, Sean, in that All-Ireland quarter-final, because I'd be very interested to get your thoughts on where you think Kerry are form-wise. Galway have been heavily criticised for that performance and Kerry have been criticised for their performance mm-hmm. most recently by Darrell Shea and his uh, column this week where he talked about how uh, it was his hunch that lads would have been hopping off each other in training since the Goa game because Kerry will feel that they, they dramatically underperformed but wh- having watched that first half in particular I thought had a couple of those goal chances gone in Goa really were in a position to ask some serious questions of Kerry where do you think they are? Yeah you see I don't think we did ourselves any justice because we had two very good goal chances. I know Berkey and Comers in the first half, and I had a very good goal chance in the second half. And if one of those went in, I don't know, maybe it would have given us the belief that we could have beaten Kerry. I, you know, and it's, it's, I know we have a young enough squad coming through there, and maybe that belief isn't fully there yet. I know this has my likes of myself and Mikey Mean and Damien Comer and a few of the older lads, more experienced lads, would have had the belief that we could have beaten Kerry. But I think we knew we needed things to go our way. And I can understand where Darrow Shea is coming from. I don't think Kerry were that impressive against us, to be quite honest with you. I know they're inside four line, but James O'Donoghue and McGainey was they were kept quite quiet, um, which may be a bit of concern for Kerry folk. But I do feel that maybe that might be a blessing in disguise for Kerry. If they went out there and hammered us by about 15, 20 points of play out of their skin, maybe they'd be going into the Mayo game feeling like a little bit maybe cocky or something like that. But I think that might work in their favour, that they're going, OK, we're... We need to up it a lot if we want to beat Mayo and be back in an All-Ireland final, potentially playing against Dublin or another Kerry Dublin All-Ireland final. Um, you know, I was impressed with them against Cork, uh, Kerry, because which I know they blitzed them in the first 10 minutes of the first half, they blitzed them in the second or the first 10 minutes of the second half as well, and eventually, or effectively, the game was over then. I think they scored maybe 10 points in those 20 minutes. Um, Therefore, like, they, Kerry, they're a sleeping giant, like, and I think if you write them off, that's when they're at the most dangerous, you know. Um, I'd expect a huge improvement in their in their uh, in their performance against Mayo than they were against us. To be honest with you, do you think there's a chance that Mayo might be in a position to hurt Kerry early on in the manner that they did Russ Common? I'm not necessarily comparing Russ Common and Kerry, but if they can bring that sort of blitz in that first ten minutes, Kerry haven't really experienced that probably going all the way back to the last season's yeah. All-Ireland semi-final when they were beaten by Dublin because they were probably up against a little bit of an undercooked Dublin in this year's league final as well. It's a long time since Kerry will have found themselves sort of taking account for that physicality and that sort of intensity in the first 15 minutes of a big game. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it could go two ways, honestly. I, I don't know if you're going to, you could see a bit of caginess from both teams to kind of see, right, what are they up to? You know, like, are Mayo going to sit off and say, well, okay, what, how, what kind of game are Kerry going to bring to us? And vice versa with Kerry and Mayo. But I think the team that takes ownership of this game and pushes the game to the opposition, I think they're the team that are going to eventually win it, to be quite honest with you. I'd love to see the two of them going hammer than nailed at it for the first 10, 15 minutes. And it being a, a, a shootout between the two teams because they have that um, within them. Um, I don't know. I, to be honest with you, like, Mayo... Yeah, you see, Mayo like the blitz seems early. Kerry like the blitz seems early. It's it's whoever gets the better blitz at the start. We're definitely going to have going to have the upper hand, have the bit of advantage with them. But it's going to be an interesting one. Too. I can't answer the question to Carl because I don't know. Um, 
are Mayo, you know, ballsy enough to go and push up and try and blitz them very early on. It'd be very interesting if they do. I'd love it if they do, to be honest with you. There's I a don't huge, know if they would. There's a huge amount of talk about the, uh, the kick-out strategies and maybe teams have different ways of kind of uh, trying to exploit that. I mean, if you were playing this weekend, what would you do to try and upset Brian Kelly or David Clark? Um, or, or where are, where are I, the opportunities? I, I, think, I, think, I think what Mayo do, and they do very well, is push up in opposition kickouts. You know, and I suspect that Mayo will push up on the opposition kickouts, scares kickouts. Now, I know Kerry don't really go to the full back line. They like to pick pockets kind of in the half back line. Hmm. You often see there Murphy, um, he kind of runs out of his spot there and leaves that spot open for a couple of the midfielders, or even Johnny Boxley come back deep and leave that space there for them. I'm sure today's day and age, with all the video analysis that you have, Mayo definitely identify that. And I suspect that they'll be pushing up and they'll be going zone. I think they'll be asking the Mayo boys to push up up front, so you'd have your three boys pushing up on the full back line. I think they'll be going staying zone in the half forward line and competing for their own ball if the ball comes into that. And then with David Clark, like he's he loves he loves to kick into those pockets as well. And what Kerry do is as well, they don't give any team too much respect and they will push up fully. So what I suspect to see is that a lot of long kickouts and a lot of breaking ball. And I think, and I know it's really cliche, whoever wins the middle third will end up winning the match in the end. And I think it'll end up being long kickouts if Kerry and if Mayo stick to what they do, and that is push up an opposition kickouts. Which should be absolutely fascinating. And when you put all those guys in together, the likes of Buckley, Moore and um, Savage, the the Parson, the two O'Shea's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then it might lead you to think that they, if they cancel each other out, breaking ball and who comes out on top with the dirty yeah. ball is going to be the winning and the losing of the game. So Absolutely, who have yeah. the who have the more groundhogs in their team? I, I would be leaning towards Mayo in that regard. The likes of yeah. Colin Boyle, Lee Keegan, um, that if, and the experience that they have in those situations, that if it does come down to that, that, that could well decide this. Yeah, and like I was often impressed with Kerry against Dublin. We played in the league final, obviously, and we stayed and watched the second game. And again, Kerry pushed up on Dublin's kickouts big time. You know, and I think that was the win in the game for Kerry because even though Cluxon is the best in the business out of picking out lads, I think looking at his percentages, I think there was his poorest percentages in the full season. So I know for a fact that's what Kerry will be doing against Mayo because Clark he likes to go short, he likes even I think he favours the left side more often than not. Kind of into that kind of it would be your left half back position if you're playing with him. But as you said there, I believe they will push up both sides of the kickouts and it will be a doggy dog in the middle of the park. And as you said, whoever has a more or is willing to die for that ball and you have it in abundance on both sides, it'll be it'll be a fantastic spectacle, that's for sure. Can Kerry win it or sorry, can Mayo win a shootout this Sunday in your opinion, Sean? Um if the game becomes really open and turns into a bit of a free for all, I don't. Yeah, I don't think Mayo will allow it to turn into a real open game. I don't because I think defensively they're back to where they were last year, and I think people were raving about how well, or excuse me, how well defensively they were set up. Um, I don't think they will allow it to be a shootout because you're not going to leave James Donahue, Ganey, and Donny in there on their own and just say, "Ah, oh, sure, look, we'll go for a shootout here." I think they will protect that full back line pretty well. Because which I don't think Mayo will allow it to be a shootout because that would just be playing towards Kerry's strength. But if Mayo get their running game going and they have like, you know, I don't think Andy Moran is obviously getting a lot of credit these days and rightly so because he makes the ball stick inside and he is the kind of heartbeat of the Mayo for forward line. He will get boys coming off his shoulder and get their running game going. And if Mayo get their running game going, exploit that 
space that's in behind the Kerry half-back line, I see Kerry winning only by a marginal couple of points because I think it'll be a very, very tight game. It feels hard to talk uh, without, uh, about Mayo without mentioning Aidan O'Shea. You, 2014, he was really influential, and I suppose clashing his heads w- w- with uh, Killian O'Connor didn't help them that day. But do you yeah. think centre-forward is the spot for him, try and get him barreling through and maybe you know, fist the ball onto Moran or Killian O'Connor? Do you, do you think that's the right spot for him? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think he's... Um, I know early on in the year he was suffering and I, people were questioning why he wasn't starting but we knew inside there that he's struggling with the groin injury but he seems to have gotten top of that and he's coming back um, to playing some of his best football I've seen him play in quite a while and he's really influencing games in a big way now I thought he was exceptional down against Clare and exceptional against, against Cork and he's been very good against Roscommon um, I think they seem to give him a bit of a free reign I think they kind of start him in the middle early and he does a lot of damage there and he kind of protects the half-back line and he's winning dirty ball around the midfield like, and he's kind of nearly setting up a taxi friend like a quarterback. And I feel then as the game progresses on and maybe as his fitness levels obviously have been improving as he has been going on, but as his fitness or as his engine kind of empties a small bit, you see him moving towards towards goal a little bit more. And then at that, he needs minding there because if he gets a run at you, you know, he's going to set up some score whether he's going to create the overlap or he's going to be pulled or dragged down because he'd be wary of what he's going to do. And you end up having Keelan O'Connor or something like that, kicking the ball over the bar. But I see him starting off in the middle of the park uh, early and as the game progresses on and as he maybe kind of loses the legs a small bit, I can see him moving towards that goal, to be honest with you. Sean, before we let you go, we haven't really talked about Galway in your season. You got promotion, obviously, which was objective one in the bag, and then back into the last eight, only this time without the trophy that was the, that is the Connacht title. Now this removed from that defeat to Kerry in the quarterfinal, how do you assess 2017 for Galway? Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's bittersweet. I suppose we had a very good first half of the season. Um, you know, we did target the league. We wanted promotion. That was one of our goals. And if, um, if we won the league title along with that, well, that was an extra bonus. And I suppose... We were that that gave us a good momentum. Um, we were quite confident. We felt good about ourselves. I suppose getting the win against Mayo then, um, two years in a row, and particularly in Pierce Stadium, and to win it, you know, by the smallest of margins. And I think we were really against it for the last five or ten minutes. So that we'd worked on a resilience, and that was there in abundance. Um, I think we lost a lot of momentum against Roscommon lastly. Um, I think we kind of maybe took our eye off the ball a small bit, even though we said in the lead up that we shouldn't and we won't, and we were. We were focusing on that game. I think we took our eye off the ball a small, but I think Roscommon ambushed us. Um, and look, all credit to Roscommon. They played the game brilliantly well and deserving winners on the day. I suppose, you know, we wanted to put that right and we had a very good win against Donegal. Um, I won most of that written us off. I think we weren't, I think we were, we were the underdogs going into that game. But um, I think the Kerry one was, it was disappointing. It was, um, as I said earlier, I just don't think we did ourselves justice um i think we're better than that um i think we're just a little bit flat i don't know why it's kind of funny to put your put your hand on or put your finger on it um but all in all like you know i think we're we're in a better place than we were last year obviously we're going to look at thankfully playing in league one next year we're hoping that's going to bring us on a little bit more to get us to close that gap to get us to improve to so we can be competing um better with the top four, top five in the country and try and progress on from there. But it's definitely a work in progress. You know, Kevin's doing a fantastic job in there. He has a he's a good system in place and there's good young footballers coming through, the likes of young Daly, the likes of young Killian McDade, you know, the likes of Damon Cumbies as is still only twenty three, twenty four years of age. 
So they're learning a lot. They're getting great experience. But I expect that we come back even better, even stronger next year. And, uh, no, take by the league, have a good league campaign and hopefully bring that into the championship. But um, disappointing. But I think we're, we're in a better place. And um, I suppose we'd be quite optimistic for next year. I know Kevin's presence there and the, and the environment that he's created was probably a major influence in your decision to come back again. You are one of the alphas in that Galway squad, Sean, but have you got a taste for it again? Is it something you're already looking forward to next year? Um, to be honest, I haven't really given it much much thought. Um, I know I've been chatting to, chatting to Mikey Mean about it and chatting to a few of the elder lads on the squad. Um, it is a huge commitment, obviously, and... Um, when you're when you're when you're at my age and there's other things more pressing issues as well on the on the outside of football it kind of takes a lot of time as well but lucky enough I have a very kind of um, understanding kind of uh, girlfriend and have a very understanding family and a good support system around me and they're all you know fairly positive and kind of willing me back to go and give it another year but it's it's not something that I've given too much thought to but it's something that I will give plenty of thought to um, I know Kevin. I'd look, give it a couple of months and we see how we feel coming back towards Christmas. Um, but it, it's something I will give a lot of consideration to. But I, I've definitely enjoyed the year. Um, I really have. And it has given me plenty of food for thought. And uh, it's a decision that I'll take my time over and uh, I'll, know, I'll know shortly. Listen, Sean, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thanks so much for your time. Cheers, Dad. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. Some very eloquent thoughts from Sean Armstrong there on uh, where this game was going to go on Sunday. It's... Um, it's very interesting to hear him talk about the kickouts, and I hope what he has predicted comes to pass in that we do see two goalkeepers left with no alternative but to go down the middle. Mm. Isn't it great though? Like a guy who's thirty-one years of age, he's he's been around the block. He he doesn't he he's able to talk pretty openly, and we know that he they will have done huge video analysis and studied the kickouts, and he's probably saying as much as he can say without giving away, you know, breaking the dressing room code or whatever. But it's great that someone can just talk freely because so many players at this stage are so. Do you know that being in the system of intercounty, they feel that cautious. they can't talk at all. Yeah, incredibly cautious. And I contacted one guy recently because I wanted to do um, a piece on the sweeper systems or whatever. Um, and he's a current sweeper. And he said he was afraid of loo- losing an edge for next year in case he spoke with me. And I just thought, that's that's disappointing because, you know, here's a guy who it might help his career being in a newspaper or whatever in some way for his profile. And it would be a positive piece and all that kind of stuff. And they feel like they can't talk because it's ingrained in them that you're going to lose an edge if you speak to the media and that's not really the case and it's just great to talk to someone like Sean who can who can open up. Yeah, he's been around the block a, a bit. He's He's been in and he's been out and he's made mm. big decisions in his career so yeah, it was good to get his thoughts on it. Um, GA on News Talk with Borgosh Energy, proud electricity partner to the GA. Follow all the under-21 hurling championship action at hashtag hurling to the core. We'll have final thoughts next. <laughs> Okay, that's the, our preview of the Mayo-Kerry game this weekend. Don't forget all of our GAA news talk is with Borgosh Energy, proud sponsor of the GA Hurling Under-21 Championship, bringing customers closer to the action at bgerewards.ie. Anything else you wanted to get off your chest? We are into the, the final throws of what's been a pretty interesting summer. Yeah, just really excited to see a fresh final. You know, we all want our oh, own. Back to the there. hurling again. Yeah, we all want our own. Um, so, would it, a Mayo Tyrone final be pretty fresh? Oh, I'd love that. That would actually be brilliant. Yeah, it really would. Wouldn't wouldn't the whole country go nuts for both of those finals? There is no matter what way these finals work out. I mean, a Dublin Mayo final, a replay of what happened last year, a Dublin Tyrone final. You're going back to that 
great game in '95. Well, it wasn't yeah. exactly a great game, but it was a, a it was a great occasion if you were a Dublin supporter and that you hadn't seen them win the All Ireland since '83 and Peter Canavan supposedly picking the ball off the ground and all of that. And if it's a Dublin Kerry final, well, it's a Dublin Kerry final. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, it <can't>. it's incredible. <laughs> and if it's a Kerry Tyrone final, it's a renewal of that rivalry that saw Tyrone just get on, come out on top pretty much every time in 03, 05, and 08. Mm. So no matter what way you dice it up. The football final is going to be spectacular, yeah. just as just as the hurling final will be. Yeah, there can't be a Dublin Toronto final. Did I say that? You did, of course. There can definitely be a Dublin Toronto <laughs> semi final, though, can't there? there can't, and there <laughs> will, I think. <laughs> no, I can't wait for that. I give Dublin, an, or sorry, I give Toronto a decent chance there. Well, I don't think the odds on a Toronto Mayo final are ridiculous. Like that's mm. a huge possibility. Yeah, like this is the four best teams, isn't it? Pity we couldn't have just had this back in June or something like that, and have these teams do like a best of seven NBA job. I know there's a lot of hand-wringing about the predictability of the Final Four and that had you sat down with someone on January 1st and said, look, who's going to be in the All-Ireland semi-finals? An awful lot of people would have said these four. Now, obviously, Mayo had to come through the back door to get there. The point being that everybody knew, well, certainly a lot of people felt that these were going to be the Final Four. And I don't get these arguments that that's an issue because for so many years... We never had a championship where there could have been four different winners. It could have been one of Dublin and Kerry. Go back to the 70s, it was one of Dublin and Kerry. Mm. There was always no more than three teams that you really would have picked out for the All-Ireland in the 1980s. It was either going to be Cork or Meath, pretty much it, in the latter end of the 1990s, uh, 1980s rather. Um, the early part of the 1980s, you had off, or, or Kerry and Dublin with Offaly just upsetting it on that one year. And in the 2000s, the same five teams were getting to the All-Ireland semi-finals bar one freak occurrence where you might have mm. got a Derry or you might have got a Meath because Armand, Tyrone, Kerry and Dublin were the, and Mayo were the teams who were getting to these All-Ireland semi-finals. It's not like we've ever had an era where seven or eight teams could win it. Seven or eight teams can't win it. What are you talking about? We've never had that. That's the point I'm making. And we never will, possibly. We have way. four, though. Like We've yeah. got four genuine contenders. Yeah. And I don't see what the issue is with that. No, it's great. It's just it's a pity it takes so long for us to get to the stage where we're going to have epic games. Like You'd imagine the next three games are going to be epic. How many have been epics before this? We've had plenty of really good games. I've enjoyed epics? this championship. You, like, you think of Mayo-Dublin last year. Wasn't that unbelievable? Th- that you see, there, that's an All-Ireland final. Can, like, no, but that's, can you have an epic point. game when in an earlier round of the championship? When two well-matched teams are facing each other. We have to wait so long. But there were some really good games. Like I thought the... Um, Down Monaghan game was a really good game. It was, yeah. Um, I thought Galway Mayo was a fascinating game. Mm-hmm. I thought Ross Common beating Galway the manner which they did was just an incredible day. I loved watching that. Waterford nearly beat Cork. Tipperary nearly beat Cork. Both of them should have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carlo were a story. Get them getting as far as they did and playing as much football as they did. Kildare's um, improvement. I just think there's been an awful lot to get our teeth into this year's there championship. Has, more so than there has been in previous years. Yeah, there's probably about been about 10 12 good games and we've probably played about 65 games so that's my issue that we have so many games that aren't but no matter what the structure is ah come on now if you had a different structure you could have much much better games you were talking about we, four tiers where they're everybody's level. Uh, no, no, not necessarily. Like we could have an open champion, uh, an open draw, that kind of thing. And you, you, an open draw where like teams are still getting beaten out the gate. Mm, but you'd have eight games every week, for example. You'd have uh, a lot of them absolute or, shite. Sorry, sixteen games every week, and much like the Premiership, they've got ten games every week, and seven of them could be absolute muck. But they focus on the good games then on match of the day or whatever. Yeah, so the if we, if championship we had, would be no different. If we had sixteen games every week, we'd uh, we'd always have three or four big games to talk about. That would be excellent. We'd always have two or three at least. And let there'd always be muck. You're always going to have muck. But um, 
Look, I just think there's better structures, but let's, well, look, not, go, I, let's not go down that road again. I commentate in the Champions League a lot. No, there's never been an epic game in the group stages that I've commentated on. And really it's a, epic. Yeah, it's that a, I, and certainly not in recent seasons. Even a second round tie, quarter final tie, maybe, where you really start to think this is just huge. This game mm. is a classic. Because the stakes are so high. Actually, when you're commentating, I've never gone to a Champions League game. When you're commentating a big European Champions League game, how does it compare with full Croke Park in an All Ireland semi final or final? Uh, it does compare. Is it sim- yeah, similar are, sort of There uh, are times where you're just thinking, this is just astonishingly good. Where's the best place you I remember when Bayern played Atletico at the Alliance Arena two years ago in the semi final second leg. Mm. And it was just suffocating. Have you been to... I'd love to see the yellow... Is it the yellow wall, they call it? In, in Dortmund. Br- yeah. Haven't been to there yet. Haven't I'd been to Dortmund yet. i that'd be pretty class. Yeah, it would be if I had a semi-final. Dortmund haven't been in the semi-final since, I think, it's 20, 2012. But, um, yeah, there are there are games in the Champions League that rival the biggest days in Croke Park. Hmm. I think some stadiums as well, because Croke Park is open at one end, obviously... Um, you never Let's feel, the air out, yeah, it does. It, it really does. There are times like I remember being in the Gaelic grounds for the Kerry replay, Kerry Mayo replay in twenty fourteen. You could barely breathe. Yeah, like that was a cauldron. My brother Paddy was telling me before that you know he's played in five All Ireland finals, and he was saying it's great to be at the hill end because you feel like you can actually breathe a bit down there, whereas right. you feel suffocated up at the other end. And That's yeah, it's just yeah. A, yeah, it was an interesting point anyway. But anyway. always such a pity they couldn't keep it closed. But sure, look. That was the, the lie of the land, literally. Mm. Shane, thanks a million. We Cheers. will uh, chat to you next week. It is, I'm not sure if I'll be doing it next week because I think I'm on uh, off the ball presenting duties next Thursday night. Well, my heart will break if you're not here with me. As, as it does every week when I'm not here. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you again soon. Give me a goal on here. Goal chance for Conor McGrath. Surely give it in, Conor. What a goal! Mackie heading it towards the 21 metre line. Keep Mackie time. still going. Go on, your boy. Goal is Africa. Oh, what a goal! I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now, anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly. But will stick in your mind at the champions who showed class. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. It's a small change before the game, worth the street. I've been a look, 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 I've